Amen. You may be seated. New Life East, it is good to see you this morning. One more time, a happy Mother's Day to all of our moms in the house. Can we give it up for the moms here? I am largely the product of a really good mom. My mom, Nancy Arndt, up in Wisconsin. And she was a righteous woman, is a righteous woman. And uh, very frequently when I was a kid, would wave a long finger in my face, you know. Andrew Burden Arndt, Burden is my middle name, she would say. And then fill in the blank with some admonition, you know, that kept me on the straight and narrow. And so moms, you have a really important role in the life of your kids. Now I'm married. I've been married for 22 years. And this woman in front of me here, she also, I think, thinks that she's my mother. (laughs) So I still got that finger wagging in my face. Andrew Burden Arndt, long fill in the blank there. But moms, we honor you this morning. Hey, before we open the scriptures, Uh, I'm going to be talking about the second coming of Jesus this morning, so I'll start in Acts chapter 1. But before we open the scriptures, I just wanted to spend a minute giving a little pastoral perspective on something that's happening in our culture that touches all of our lives. I think probably most of you are aware that there were documents that were leaked this week that um, seem to indicate that Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned by the Supreme Court in the near future. And I know that's got a lot of emotions stirred up and thoughts stirred up, and so I just wanted to say a couple things about that this morning before we start. The first thing that I wanted to say is that personally, I'm not speaking for anybody else here, but personally, when I heard that news, a great deal of relief came over me, my spirit. Um, I realize that it's a complex issue, but I also think that at the center of our story as believers, we believe that our God has entered our history of sin and death to put an end to death and to establish the reign of righteousness and life on planet Earth. And so when our laws come into alignment with the goodwill of God for humanity, that's a thing to be celebrated, and I think it's a thing to give thanks to God about. And so personally, I'm giving thanks to God for that, should it go that direction. But the second thing that I want to say is that as believers, it's not just enough for us to... um, pat ourselves on the back because our side, whatever side that is, scored some political points. I don't know about you, but I don't think that most women get abortions because they're bloodthirsty maniacs. I think they do it because there's a hopelessness. What will it mean for me to bring a child into this world? Can I take care of this child? And as Christians, we have something to say about that. Part of our responsibility to our society, part of our responsibility as good neighbors is that we come alongside the most vulnerable members of our society saying to them, when you feel like you're out of options, we can be your option. And we're willing to do whatever we can possibly do to make it so that when a young woman finds herself with a pregnancy that she was not looking for, that she doesn't feel like abortion is her best or even her last option. But the church is there saying, what can we do? And so whatever political points are scored in this moment, there's actually more burden on the church, the social impact of this, guys. There is more burden on the church now to be a people who are willing to carry their cross into the heart of society and go, we'll take responsibility for that. We'll come alongside you. Because our God is the God who carried his cross into the heart of life and took responsibility for us when we felt like we were out of options. Are you with me this morning? Third thing that I want to say to you, is that if you're here this morning and you have had an abortion, Christ forgives you. There is only mercy. There is only mercy. And I know the guilt and the shame that you carry around 
And I'm saying to you, like, let me just announce the gospel to you this morning. There is no condemnation, none, for those who are in Christ Jesus. For through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There's only mercy for you. Receive it and be a new creation. Last thing that I want to say to you, and with this we'll start preaching. If you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I disagree with every word that just came out of that preacher's mouth about this. Christ welcomes you here. And we welcome you here. And we are not united around political beliefs or social convictions. We are united around the announcement that Jesus Christ has trampled down death by death and has established the kingdom of God in our midst. Can I get an amen from somebody in the house this morning? Okay. The book of Acts... Chapter 1, before we open it together, let's pray. Spirit of the living God, we thank you for the reign of life in our midst. We thank you that you are making us alive by the gifts of your presence, encouraging us and helping us and reminding us that we belong to God the Father by the saving work of Jesus the Son. You've grafted us into the kingdom of God, and we could not be more grateful for that. We thank you for giving us the gift of these scriptures by which somehow, miraculously, the Spirit still speaks to us, and that speaking makes us alive. And so we pray that in these next moments, as we meditate on the gospel of Jesus Christ, we pray that the good news would come home to us in a fresh way. We ask Spirit of the living God, that you would take these human words and that you would make them the living word of God to us in a way that causes all things to be new in our lives. Grant this, we're asking. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Acts chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 6. Jesus is raised from the dead here. And what I love about the story of Scripture is... There's something interesting that happens in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. When uh, the Jewish people of the Old Testament thought about the end of all things, they just saw it as kind of like one thing that happened. And so the resurrection of the dead and the trampling of death and the establishment of the kingdom, all of that kind of happens at the same time. And Jesus here is raised from the dead. And you get the impression from the disciples that they kind of thought, okay, now you're raised from the dead the end should be here. Like, it's got to be like right around the corner, right? At some point, the curtain is going to fall, credits are going to roll, and they all live happily ever after. And that's not the way that it actually works. Scripture says that after Jesus is raised from the dead, he actually spends 40 days with his disciples, kind of just hanging out with them, eating meals, even though he doesn't need to eat anymore, spending time with them, hearing how they're doing, kind of trying to explain some stuff about the kingdom of God. And it's this like surprisingly casual <laughs> period of time in the ministry of Jesus, given all that has been accomplished by his resurrection. So now he's with them here in verse 6 of Acts chapter 1. The scripture says they gathered around him and they asked him. And they had to be thinking this, you know, like, Lord, are you at this time? Like enough with the meals and the conversations. Like at some point we got to like get on with it, right? Are you at this time? going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. By the way, we have it on the Lord's own word here that nobody is to know the times or the dates of the end. And so, you know, there are those preachers out there and they think they know. Don't pay them any mind. 
All right? They're in disobedience to Jesus. Enough said about that. But Jesus says you receive power. Maybe they didn't get to this part of the Bible yet. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, Jesus says, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes to so the ascension of the Lord and a cloud hid him from their sight. And while they were looking intently up in the skies, he was going. Suddenly two men dressed in white, angels, stood beside them, men of Galilee. They said, why are you standing here looking in the sky? For this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. So instead of the immediate end of the world, you get Jesus giving the promise of the Spirit, ascending to the right hand of the Father, and then you get the promise from the angels that the same one that they saw go up into heaven will come back in the same way that he went up into the heaven. That is to say, visible and bodily, he will return. And that is part of the Christian message, that we don't just believe that Jesus died and was raised to life, but what do we say in one of the great acclamations of the church? We say that Christ has died, Christ, and the whole thing together is the substance of our hope. As the creed declares, we said just a little bit, a bit ago, he will return again in glory. Thank you. You're doing so great. This is the substance of our hope. Paul says as much. It's everywhere in the New Testament. But thinking about the end, Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 20. He says that our citizenship is in heaven where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his heavenly body. So what we're waiting for, according to the Apostle Paul, is not some moment where God comes down and snatches us up and takes us away, but rather we're waiting for that moment when the same one that the disciples saw go into heaven comes down out of heaven and he takes our bodies, which now are still subject to sin and death, and he transforms them so that they mirror his, in, his own incorruptible body and we reign forever with him in the new heavens and the new earth here. John says this in John chapter 21. You know this text. John, looking ahead to the end of history, says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth. They had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, I love this. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4, and he will, here's the moment, he will wipe away, the scripture says, every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things will have at that point passed away. Verse 5, he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Guys, this is where we're headed. To a moment when the Lord Jesus comes down from heaven with a shout, and all of a sudden that resurrection work that was began on Easter Sunday, that's completed in the new heavens and the new earth. All of a sudden everything 
that right now is still under the dominion of sin and death will be liberated from its bondage to decay, Paul says in Romans 8, and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God, all things will be made new. And so I'm saying to you this morning that we have not learned to speak the gospel rightly until we have also learned to say that Christ Jesus will come again in glory with the new creation in his wake. That's where we're headed. Sometimes I think you have to hear this, though. Like this can become so much a part of the furniture of our belief that we go, oh, yeah, the new heavens and the new earth. And okay, next, right, that we just miss it. But what we believe is audacious. It's astonishing, actually. And sometimes it takes hearing it with the ears of other people to really hear it the way that it ought to be heard. I remember some years ago, my oldest two boys, I got four kids, Ethan, Gabe, Bella, and Liam. And Ethan and Gabe were just little guys. Ethan was five, I think. Gabe was four, maybe, maybe a little bit older than that. And we took them to the first funeral that they'd ever been to. We pastored a really young church up in Denver. Nobody died. <laughs> They're all millennials, you know. And then all of a sudden, somebody in our world did pass. And so we went to the funeral. And I remember sitting through the funeral. And as I was sitting with the, with the boys in the service, I was thinking, you know, we have never, we just never actually really had an occasion to talk to our boys about like what happens when you die. And I can't really do it like right now. Hopefully they're not too freaked out by this whole thing, but we'll talk to them about it when we get home. So we got home and I remember sitting down with Ethan and Gabe and I'm trying, at the time actually we were learning the Nicene Creed. So we're starting to wrestle with some deeper theological stuff, you know. And so I'm trying to figure out how do I explain to a five-year-old and a four-year-old what happens when you die and also like the substance of Christian hope. What is that? And so I remember saying to them, I go, guys, so do you know any ideas on what happens when you die? And one of them, I can't remember which one, goes, well, you go to heaven, or right? I was like, yeah, right, yeah. Um, so this is kind of how I'd explain it. So I said, you know how that, like, that part of you that is just like uniquely you, that's not like strictly identified with any piece of your body, like the Gabe-ness about Gabe, you know, the Ethan-ness about Ethan? I said, that part of you, when you die, that doesn't just go away. But what we believe is that God holds that. He holds the you-ness of you in his hands, even while your body dies. I said, you guys got that? You understand that? They're kind of nodding along. I go, and what's going to happen is that at the end of all things, remember how the creed says, you know, like we're looking for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. I said, so what's going to happen at the end of all things is that God is going to pour his life out on this world in such a way that our bodies will be raised up again and united with that part of us that is us and will live forever with God in a place where there's no death or mourning or dying or decay. Does that make sense? And Ethan, who I think was just tired of the lecture at this point, was like, yeah, got it. (laughs) And I look over at Gabe and I go, Gabe, what do you think about that? And Gabe has got this incredulous look on his face, like, and he says to me, he goes, is that true? <laughs> I don't know. That's what the creed says. You know, that's what's, that's what you got to believe if you're on team Jesus, you know. <laughs> but I, I love that. It hit me so hard. His astonishment and even bewilderment at the promise. Is it true? Is that really where this whole thing is going? It's sometimes you just have to hear it in a different way to hear it in the right way. I think about... One of my favorite books, The Lord of the Rings, the great series by Tolkien. And at the end of the third book, Lord of the Rings, the great battle has happened and the ring has been cast into the mountain and all things, all of a sudden there is renewal in Middle Earth. And you know, Sam and Frodo, 
just about died trying to cast that thing into the fire. And now they've been carried away by the eagles and they're back in the king's house and they're healing up. And there's this moment that happens here to Sam. Tolkien writes, Full memory flooded back and Sam cried aloud, So it wasn't a dream? Well, where are we then? And a voice spoke softly behind him, You are in the lands of Ithilien and in the keeping of the king, and he awaits you. And with that, Gandalf stood before him, robed in white. It's a picture of the resurrection. Robed in white, his beard now gleaming like pure snow in the twinkling of the leafy sunlight. Well, Master Samwise, Gandalf said, how do you feel? Sam lay back and stared with open mouth in astonishment. And for a moment, between bewilderment and great joy, he could not answer. And at last he gasped, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is every, I love this line. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happening to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happening to the world? And do you know what Christians answer? Everything sad is going to come untrue. And the great shadow will depart from our world. And all of the things that were lost will be found. And all the things that were broken will be put back together again. And all of the things that were shattered will be restored. And all of the things that were dead, they will be raised to life again. That is where we're going, guys. And it's the substance of our hope. I sat with a guy earlier this year who lost his wife of 25 years. She died of cancer. Tumor came. She was diagnosed with a tumor at the end of last year, and they fought it like mad, and she couldn't overcome it, and she passed away. And I remember sitting across the table from him. I was going to do the funeral service for her a couple days later, and I sat across the table from him at lunch and just listened to him talk and share stories. And I said to him, I said, how are you doing in this moment? Like, what do you tell? Just take me into it. How does it feel to you? And he said, I'll tell you how it feels. He said, at 25 years, I'm feeling like I was just like in the last couple years, I was feeling like I was finally figuring out how to love her. You know, those first couple years were real rocky for us. And then we brought kids in the world and things were crazy and all of that. But now it just felt like we were finally starting to find each other, finally starting to sync up, finally starting to learn how to speak the language of the heart to one another. And so how does this feel? I'll tell you how it feels. It feels like a cruel joke, actually. It feels like at the very moment when I most had her, all of a sudden she was taken away from me. And I sat there listening to him talk and I'm weeping on the other side of the table. Mandy and I going on 22 years. I, we're in that same stage where it feels like we're finally figuring out how to love each other well and we understand each other. And if she was to be taken away, what would that do to me? And I went back to my office and just started jotting notes down and thinking about that service coming up and how do you preach the gospel to that? And I thought about Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, his great exposition of the resurrection of the dead and the hope that we have as believers. And and this is what Paul says. He says, I tell you a mystery. We're not just going to sleep. That's the way of him talking about death. We're not all sleep at going to sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Verse 53 for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And then when that happens, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up 
in victory. And then he exclaims, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Death is not excused or winked at by the Christian gospel. We don't just kind of go, well, you know, it's just kind of one of those things and you just have to deal with it. That's not the way that Christians believe about death. What we believe about death is that death is a great mockery to God. It's a slap in the face of the creator. It's a spitting upon the face of God. It is a cruel joke. And yet we believe that somehow by his life, death, and resurrection, what Jesus has done is he's broken the power of death from the inside out and he's loosed something on the world that will be consummated at the renewal of all things. And one day, at the end of all things, we all together will laugh in the face of death. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? You thought that you could claim this and you thought that you could wreck my family and ruin our society and you thought you could gobble us alive. Christ Jesus has entered into your belly and he has broken your power from the inside out. Guys, this is where we're going. And I preach that gospel to the group of people gathered at that funeral. More people in the World Prayer Center than I'd ever seen. This woman was beloved. 300 people or so had to be packed into that place. Preach that gospel to them. And then these people, this group of folks, sang with hope and strength like I have not seen. Where does that come from? It comes from the belief that he will return again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. It comes from the belief that death does not have the final word. It comes from the belief that out of the inner recesses of our God, life will one day be poured out upon our world in such a way that we'd have to call it heaven on earth. That's where we're going. And so we have not learned to speak the gospel rightly until we've learned to say that Christ Jesus will come again and make all things new. But I want to say something else to you about this. I want to say to you that when we say that he will return again at the end of all things to make things right, that is not to say that Jesus is not here right now making all things right. We are not awaiting an absent God. We're waiting for the revelation the full manifestation of the God who now dwells in our midst by the power of the Holy Spirit. You remember what Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, what? I am there in the midst of them. So we say that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And where does Jesus say that he is? He's right here in our midst. So apparently, in some way, that our metaphysical language is not able to wrap itself around, the right hand of the Father is right here in the midst of God's people. We're not waiting for a God who's absent from us. We're waiting for the full manifestation of the God who now dwells in our midst invisibly by the power of the Spirit. Paul says as much a little bit earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 26. It's the next slide. There it is. He must reign, Paul says, until he has put what? All his enemies under his feet. So yes, the Apostle Paul, well, what is Jesus doing right now? Well, Paul says he's putting all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed at the end of all things is death. Verse 27. 
For he has put everything under his feet. And now when it says that everything has been put under him, it does, it's clear that, that doesn't include God itself who's put everything under Christ. But when, verse 28, he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who has put everything under him so that God will be all in all. Jesus is not just sitting idly at the right hand of the Father going, hey, you know, I hope y'all are okay down there. Is the Holy Spirit enough for you? I don't know, you know. And, but uh, hang on tight, guys, because I'm coming. That's not the perspective of Scripture. The perspective of Scripture is that now, by the power of His Spirit, Christ reigns in the midst of the community, and He's putting all things under His feet until finally the last enemy, death, is finally put under His feet, and God is all in all. And so we're not just awaiting His coming at the end of all things. We're looking for His many comings, plural, in the midst of history. It's a little bit like, one way to think about it would be like, like we have the privilege here in Colorado of having those gorgeous mountains, the Rocky Mountains out there. And I remember, like, it never gets old to me. We moved here in 2009. Never gets old to me looking at those mountains. And I do remember being a Midwesterner looking at the mountains. And I would hear people say all the time, like, well, we're going to go up into the mountains. And that was like an unfathomably strange concept to me. Because my idea was that having grown up in flatland, you know, my idea was that you travel along for a while and those mountains out there, which just kind of look like this one sort of block of stuff, you know, that you go, 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 and then all of a sudden, pfft, mountains, right? Like right there. And then somehow, how do you go up into the mountains? Can you do that in a minivan? I don't know. You know, maybe when you take your kids up into the mountains, we all like put on our like climbing gear and we're rappelling and all of that, you know, how do you go up into the mountains? And what do you realize when you move here and you go up into the mountains for the first time? is that it's not just one big block out there, but you actually, there are hills and valleys. There are like mountains before the mountains that are all kind of connected. And you sort of just keep going until you find yourself like in the, do you know the second coming of Christ is a little bit like that, that we're not just, not just this one big block kind of at the end of all things, though certainly that, but also what we are looking for as history progresses is all of those moments where the comings of Jesus into our history are experienced before that great coming of Jesus at the end of all things. Are you with me? Does that make sense to you? We're looking for God's incursion in the here and now. Christians are people who believe that God does actually interrupt things and make things right in our lives before the end. And that means that our stories, our history is always open to God. We're always a people who are ready for the astonishment, the surprise of the eruption of God in our midst. I remember sitting, the church leader, Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, he's the leader of the Global Anglican Communion. There's a group of about 20 of us pastors seven or eight years ago that got to spend some time with him. And Justin Welby, 90 million or so Anglicans and Episcopalians, I think it is, underneath his leadership. And you might know that in the last 25 years or so, that Global Anglican Communion has experienced massive fracturing and fragmenting over the sexuality issue. And it's heartbreaking. For those that are in it, it's like being estranged from your brothers and your sisters. It's really tough. And we sat with him this one day. He kind of talked to us about his pastoral burden as the leader of the global Anglican church. And then he took some questions from us. And one person in our group asked him, they said, Archbishop Welby, when I ask you about the fracturing that's happened in the Anglican church, do you have any hope that it'll ever be put back together again? And a great question. 
And I'll never forget the answer he gave, and he did not hesitate with it. He said, oh, no, I have no hope, not on the human level. He said, we've done everything that we can possibly do. We've had all the conversations, and we've worked all the diplomatic angles and all of that stuff. So I have no hope on the human level. But we serve a God who raises the dead. And so what I have to believe is that beyond any human hope or possibility, God is capable of bringing about a unity that we couldn't bring about. So on the human level, I have no hope. But as a believer, I have all hope in God. It's something like that, guys. It's something like that. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but there is a great weariness that has settled upon our world. And it's the weariness of the Western world that decided to pull itself away from God. In a lot of ways, one of the things that's happened in the last couple hundred years in our world is that we have held on to the Christian eschatological vision of the end of all things, kind of that utopian dream, but we cut God out of the picture. We decided that if we got our economics right and our science right and our politics right and our community development strategies right and our, all that stuff, we get all those, th- those things right and we can have the new heavens and the new earth apart from God. And we've been doing that for several hundred years and I think we're realizing that the project is hopeless. And so there's a great weariness upon our world. So what's the thing that we give to the world in the midst of that? What's the announcement that the church makes to the world in the midst of all of that? I'll tell you what our announcement is. Our announcement is that he will return again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. Our announcement is that we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Our announcement is that we always at all times are in the same position as the psalmist who said, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Does it come from me? Does it come from us? Does it come from the kings of the earth? Does it come from the next president that we elect to office? The next political leader that we put in a Senate seat? No! I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? How does the psalmist finish it? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, and he will not let your foot be moved. The psalmist says, he who watches Israel will not, not slumber. He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. For the Lord is your shade at your right hand so that the sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. But the Lord will protect you from all harm. It's he that will keep you safe. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. We are governed, guys, by the wise and good presence of God. And our world is open to the radical incursion of the life of God. And so what we do as God's people is we say with the church of the first century and the church of all time, come Lord Jesus. I've worked on this thing and I've done everything that I know how to do and it's not getting better. Come Lord Jesus. I've done everything that the doctors have told me to do with my body and it's not getting better. Come Lord Jesus. We've tried everything that we know how to do to make our society better, and it's not getting better. Come, Lord Jesus. And then we carry the announcement of the good reign of our Jesus into the world, trusting that the Spirit will awaken hope in them as he is awakening hope in us. Can you receive that today? Can we stand to our feet?
Would you now hold your hands open before the Lord like this? And all of us in different ways, we're carrying things that we feel like we're at the end of our strength about. And we're also carrying things that are happening in the world where it feels like, how in the world is this ever going to get better? Think about the situation in Ukraine that just seems to get worse by the day. We hold those things before the Lord. We hold before the Lord the state of our society, Roe versus Wade. Is it going to be overturned? Won't it be overturned? And what's going to be the outcome of that? We hold that before the Lord. We hold broken relationships before the Lord and estranged kids and marriages that are not working. We hold it all before the Lord. And what do we say? We say, come, Lord Jesus. We say, come, Lord Jesus. We're trusting you to make things right in a way that we cannot make things right. We're trusting you to make our bodies right in a way that we cannot make them right. We're trusting you to make our minds right in a way that we have not been able to make them right and our hearts right in a way that we haven't been able to. For the life of our family, in the life of our society, in the life of our world, we're saying, come Lord Jesus, come have your way. Church, would you just say it in your own words and in your own way? Would you cry out for that peace of the world that you hold that is not yet as God intends? Lord, have your way. But come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. We're lifting our eyes up to the hills. And from where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. So come with your help and remind us this morning that we haven't been left alone. Remind us this morning that we're not out of options. Remind us this morning that your plans are to prosper us and not to harm us. That your plans are to give us, not just us individually, your plans are to give this whole wide world a hope and a future. And so we cry out to you again this morning. Come Lord Jesus. Let's sing this song in response.
shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in Him be found, dressed in His righteousness alone. Faultless stand before the throne. My friends, would you hold your communion elements in your hand? If you don't have them with you, you grab some by the door. This table is open to all who have called upon the name of the Lord. If you've made Lord made made Jesus the Lord of their lives, this table is for you. So would you uh, would you respond? The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Yes, it is right. Would you do that now? And in your place of thanks, would you say, come Lord Jesus. We welcome your coming into our lives. We look for the explosion of your presence. Come, Lord Jesus. And as you're holding these elements in your hand, would you let this be the answer to your prayer that Christ has come? The incarnation of our God who, who took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. This was the gift of God was his body for us that was shed on a cross for your sins. Would you hold this in thankfulness? The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and after he had given thanks, just like we did, now he, he broke it. Would you break the bread in your hands? And he said, this is for you. Would you do this in remembrance of me? Would you receive the bread? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Thank you, Jesus, for this, this blood, Jesus, that makes us white as snow, Lord, that purifies us from all unrighteousness. God, we belong to you. And this new covenant is that you see us as your children, chosen, loved, accepted. We drink with thankfulness that you've made us part of your family in this way. Would you receive the cup? Thank you, Jesus. And we worship, my friends, a God who is going to come again. That's what we said in the creed. He's going to come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. So lift your voices as we worship that king together. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless stand before the throne. That's right. Let's sing that again.
Come on, church, lift your hands like this. Receive this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, God's people. And may he turn his face towards you and may he grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. One more time, a very happy Mother's Day. Can we give it up? One more time for all the moms in the house. We love you all. Grab a rose, white and red, on the way out. You are loved. We'll see you next week.